What we're going to talk about this morning is going to be really challenging. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kick each of us in the teeth a little bit. And if you are determined to be who you are, instead of conform your life to Christ, then you're not going to like this at all. Now, I am blessed to be the pastor of a church that, you know, the harder I think the sermon is, the more people come to me and say, good, thank you. Thank you for telling us the truth. I hope that's the case today. But I, I'm just challenging you, each of us, you might... You might say a quick prayer while I'm talking and just say, Lord, open my heart, help me to receive what you have to say to me, because this is not going to be what anybody wants to hear. We're talking about the, the scriptures that Christians love to quote, but oftentimes in the wrong way. They say these things, they know they're in the Bible, and yet they use them to say things that the Bible doesn't actually teach, or at least that scripture doesn't teach. They miss the point of what God's word is saying. And, and up till now, it's been mostly individual verses taken out of context. Today, we're going to look at a story from the Bible that is often taken out of context. Now, I'm, I've lived on earth long enough that I've seen this scripture taken out of context in two different ways. This is the story, by the way, of Jesus cleansing the temple. And we all know this story. We've heard it. Even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you've never been to church, you know the story of Jesus flipping tables, right? Uh, and, and when I was growing up, and even in my Christian young adulthood, every church I was ever in, there was always a little mild, never severe, little mild controversy over the idea of, is it okay to do business on church grounds? And so let's say, for instance, we had a Christian band come and give a concert or a gospel quartet come and sing, and they'd want to sell, okay, I'm going to date myself, I grew up in the 80s, they'd want to sell their cassettes in the church foyer. Then later it was, it was CDs and, and et cetera. I don't know what they do now, okay, go to this site and download my song, I don't know. But there was always a little group of people in the church who'd be like, um, I don't, is that okay to do? Because Jesus, Jesus ran the money changers out of the temple, is it okay for us to do? And I... I would always have to, I mean, once I became a pastor, when I was a kid, this wasn't an issue because I didn't have a place to say this, but I would, I would try to explain, there's all kinds of reasons why that's not what this story in the Bible is about. And if you have questions about that, you can ask me later. But in the last 10 years, that's all shifted. Now, people use this story in a completely different way. Now they use it to justify anger. Now they use it to justify being a jerk. So this, this, is really, this really is used, I hear it cited by Christians in two different contexts. One is basic internet rudeness. So you hear a story in the news, or you hear something that some celebrity said, or you see something that some athlete did, and it makes you mad, and you want to jump on the internet, you want to jump on Facebook, you want to jump on Twitter, jump on whatever, and let people know how angry you are about this. Or you want to email all the people on your chain and say, did you see what happened? Did you hear about this? And you want to let people know. Um, or, or you see some kind of image, some kind of meme, uh, some video, or a joke that you've heard that really paints the people who think differently than you in a really, really bad light. And you think, you know, this is okay. That's the way things go. I mean, guys, let's, let's face it. Saturday Night Live makes fun of us, right? I mean, late night comedians make fun of me, make fun of people that think like me. So all, all's fair in love and war and comedy, right? We can do this kind of thing. You know it's gonna make a certain number of people who are on your, uh, among your followers angry. But what do you say? You say, you know what? Jesus made people angry too. He flipped tables, didn't he? 
The other context I see this in is the, the category of what I call standing up for myself. And so we've all got stories, right, where we were wronged in some way and we stood up for ourselves and we put the bully in his or her place. And we love to tell those stories. We love to talk about how angry we got and how, man, I didn't even, I didn't even know what was happening. I was just, all of a sudden, I was in their face. And, and we talk about those stories. We tell those stories because we get to be uh, the, the hero of our own little action movie, right? We're, we're you know, we're the, we're the Terminator. We're, I don't know, who's the big action star today? Who knows? But anyway, we, we get to take someone down publicly. And even if you're not an extrovert and you don't go around bragging, you tell those stories to yourself. It makes you feel good. And if anybody challenges you and is like, yeah, but I thought you were a Christian, you say, yeah, but Jesus, he hurt some people's feelings too. He flipped tables, didn't he? And the answer to the question is yes, he did. But Why? And does it justify our anger? That's what we're gonna talk about this morning. So Matthew 21, 12 through 13. This story is actually in all four gospels, but I chose Matthew's version. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So why does that story, this, this violent act on Jesus' part, why does it not justify our anger most of the time? Jesus was literally violent. I'm gonna show you in just a minute, or the, the guys up, up top are gonna show you a picture of the temple in its day, um, and, and you're gonna see how huge the area was that he cleared out. Jesus was seriously angry. God, John, in his version, tells us he made a whip out of cords. Jesus actually did some physical violence on that day, so why does that not justify most of the times that we get angry? Three reasons. Number one, Jesus' outburst was an unusual event. Jesus wasn't angry like this often. This was an unusual event. Now, I need to be clear about something. It is not sinful to be angry. Did you know that? Just feeling anger is not a sin. In fact, God knows you are not in control of whether you feel a certain emotion or not. The question is, what do you do with that emotion? So, for instance, Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. So it's possible to be angry and not sin. Jesus, we know, was angry on other occasions. Mark 3 tells the story of Jesus worshiping in the synagogue one day, and he sees a man who's crippled, and he wants to heal him. And he knows there are people in that synagogue who are gonna object if Jesus heals this crippled man because they've been told by their religious leaders that it's wrong to render some kind of medical aid to someone on the Sabbath. God didn't say that, but the religious tradition says that. And Jesus thinks to himself, you are, you are more concerned with your reputation in the eyes of your leaders than you are with a brother who can't work for himself, who can't help himself. And that makes Jesus angry. Now, this is not the Bible, this is my opinion, but considering how righteous Jesus was, considering how unrighteous you and I are, and he had to live in the midst of us for 30 some odd years, my guess is that Jesus was angry at least sometimes every single day. He felt some level of angry, uh, some level of anger every single day. And yet this is the only time we know of when he busted out a whip and started beating people, okay? And, and chasing people around. So don't make this into, hey, you know, Jesus was this rude guy who went around slapping people. He wasn't. This is the one time we know of when he resorted to violence. Now, second thing, Jesus 
was angry for righteous reasons. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Jesus's anger was a righteous indignation. And, and we need to understand why Jesus did what he did in the temple that day. So the temple of God was different than the church building. This is the mistake a lot of people, the mistake, the mistake the people made when I was growing up and said why you can't buy and sell in the church. Church buildings are, are great. And, and in my, for my money, this is the best church building in the world. I'm so thankful for it. I can say that because I had nothing to do with designing it or planning it or building it. It is beautiful, I love it. But you know what? If someday, for whatever reason, this building ceases to exist, we'll still worship. I mean, if we have to meet at Sam Houston Elementary, if we have to meet at Moorhead Stadium, if we have to meet in the Crichton, if we have to meet downtown, if we have to meet under a shade tree, we'll meet and God will be there. There's nothing holy about this building. What happens inside is holy. The people inside are holy, but he, the building's not. It's just a building. It's just brick and mortar. The temple was different. You see, God created us in such a way that we need to be in contact with him. We were made for relationship with him. And because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we were separated from him. Essentially, humanity just ran away from God and started dying. And God said, I've, I've got to rescue these people. And so he made a bridge between heaven and earth. And that bridge was the temple. So in this temple in Jerusalem, high on a hill, on top in the highest part of the city of Jerusalem, by the way, it's not an actual photograph. Just want you to know. They didn't have cameras 2,000 years ago, as far as I know. No, this is an artist's rendering based on the description we see in the Bible of the temple. Here was this building where God said, whenever you show up there, I will be there. I will meet you there. If you're a sinner, bring your bull, let the priest sacrifice it, we'll get you right with me, and you can commune with me. And notice also the different levels of the temple. Notice there's an inner, inner local, that, that high building in the top, that's the holy place. And then there, were, there was expanding levels outside of that with walls. And you couldn't go through a certain wall unless you qualified. Now you see the big, big area on the outer edge that, that takes up half the, half the screen? That's the court of the Gentiles. The outermost area was called the court of the Gentiles. Raise your hand if you are not Jewish. Okay. That's where you and I, if we'd lived 2,000 years ago, we wanted to worship Yahweh, that is as far as you and I could go. Unless we went ahead and, and went through circumcision and got, uh, became officially Jewish, we had to stop at that wall. In fact, there was, a, there was actually a sign on the wall that said, Gentiles can come no further, and if they do, they have only themselves to blame for their impending death. So this was the area that God had set up to say, even if you're not of my people, you can still come and become part of my people. You can come and learn about me. You can come and worship me. You can come and get right with me. Guess where the money changers and the dove sellers and the other business people had set up their places? The, the court of the Gentiles. This is why Jesus was angry. In fact, when he says, you have... You, you made this a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. Why does he say that? He's quoting the prophet Jeremiah. When it says, for all nations, the word nations in Hebrew is, is pronounced goyim. You know, to this day, that is still what Jewish people call you and me. That's, that means Gentiles. Goyim is Gentiles. This was a house of prayer for the Gentiles. God created the temple to draw all people to himself. And now, because a small group of people wanted economic and, and, and political power, the Gentiles were being shut out. There was no room to worship because there was too much business going on. 
That's what made Jesus mad. So if you wanna know what made Jesus mad, he was mad on our behalf. He was mad because we were being shut out. Think about that. Now, I don't know about you, but I did some inventory on my, the times I could think of when I lost my temper, when I got angry, when I said rude things, when I held a grudge, or whatever the case may be. I, I tried to do as big of an inventory of my anger as I could, because I wanted to ask the question, have I ever actually been angry for a righteous reason? And I could come up with two, maybe three times. Two or three times when I, I could stand before God and say, okay, God, I think... I think I was justified in your sight in being angry on this occasion. The rest of it was all selfishness. It was all wounded pride. It was all, it was all uh, you know, weak ego or whatever the case, fragile ego, whatever the case may be. Because that's the, that's the thing. You can say, yeah, I think I've got righteous anger, but that, it's not good enough to say, I think I'm justified. The question is, would Jesus have been angry in your shoes? And remember, Nobody was ever kicked around, mistreated, falsely accused like Jesus was. And never once do we see him showing anger at any of that. He showed nothing but grace to those who hated him. He got angry for one of two reasons, either because God's good name was being dragged through the mud or because someone weak was being picked on by someone strong. Somebody was being mistreated and he stood up for them. Those are the reasons that Jesus got angry. So if you can't say Jesus would get angry in this case, would Jesus get angry if the waiter brought his food out and it was cold? No. Would Jesus get angry if the guy in the cubicle next to him said something rude? Would Jesus get angry if, some, if the guy in the, in the lane next to his pulled in front of him and, and he had to hit the brakes? Would God get angry at your spouse for saying something rude, for uh, being inconsiderate? No, Jesus got angry for reasons that are different than that. It's a high bar to say that my anger is righteous. Can you say the same? Now, let me be clear about something before I move on. I need to say this. It is not a sin to protect yourself. I want you to know that. It is not a sin. If, you get, if you're the victim of a crime, by all means, call the police. Whoever did that needs to be arrested. They need to be gotten off the street before they hurt somebody else. If you're in an abusive relationship, get out and call the authorities. That is not what it means to be submissive and to love. That is not love. That's not what God wants for you. If someone physically attacks you, I'm your pastor. I'm telling you, you have permission to defend yourself as best you can. And some of you can very well. If you're falsely accused, you're within your rights as a Christian to bring out the truth of the matter. But remember, Jesus got angry on behalf of others. That's what our anger should be for. That is righteous indignation. Third, third difference. Jesus' anger did not cause him to sin. See, Jesus was angry. Jesus was upset. Jesus put a whooping on some guys. But in his anger, he did not sin. We know this because Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was like us. He was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. Jesus is the only human being who never committed a single sin. Now compare that to us. Compare that to our anger. It's possible to be angry for a righteous reason and still sin. I will give you an example from my life. So some years ago when my daughter was in, in high school, um, she broke up with a guy who didn't take it well. Does this sound familiar to anybody? It's, a, it's an old story. 
Fortunately, this guy lived at a distance. This was a long distance relationship. And uh, so we didn't have to see him. But thanks to the, the beauty of the internet, he found a way to harass her anyway. And, and no matter what she did to try to block him, to try to uh, keep any contact away, he found ways around all those blocks and, and continued harassing her, continued to make her miserable. I didn't know any of this was going on. I thought all this, you know, we, we were done with that guy. And then one day after church, ironically, after I'd preached a sermon and come home and she tells me what's going on and I just, I got angry. And I said, okay, what's his number? And I called him and uh, I threatened physical violence. I used some language that I hadn't used since, well, uh, in a long time. And I remember those words, believe it or not. I remember those words came back to me, believe it or not. And you know what? It felt good. It felt really good to hear the fear on the other end of the line. You know, when you're my size, you don't get that a lot. <laughs> and then I got to thinking. I remembered something that happened back in my seminary days, 23, 24 years old. One of my classes, there was a guy, all of us about that age, I mean, just wet behind the ears, preacher boys. And there was this one guy in our class who was 42 or so, had teenage kids. Right before class one day, he raises his hand and asks the, prof asks the professor, can we, can we have prayer? And he gives the name of a, of a guy. He says, I want to pray for this young man. He's been dating my daughter, and a while back, my wife and I, we both agreed that he was not good for her, and so we made her break up with him, and she did, and uh, he's, been, he's been stalking her ever since, and every day at school, every time she looks around, he's standing behind her, and you know, every night we see him drive past our house with the radio on really loud, or sometimes he just sits in his car out front, he wants us to know we're there, wants us to know he's there. And last night, I looked out, and I saw him sitting in that car out in front of my house, and I, I said, I've had enough. And I went out there to, to tell him you know, what was on my mind. And he said, somewhere between the front door of my house and the passenger side door of his car, the Holy Spirit got hold of me. And I realized that my plan wasn't the right plan. And so when I got out to that car, I, I tapped on the glass and he opened the door and I sat down with him. And we ended up sitting in that car for most of the night. And by the time we were done, he had prayed and asked Jesus to be a savior. And he, he said, so here's what I want y'all to pray. He said, I, I want to make sure, I, I don't want to find out that he was just praying that prayer to get me off his back, right? To, to, for show. I, I want him to follow through on that commitment. I want his life to truly be changed. I want him to be a new person in Christ. So would you pray that way? And, and you, you wouldn't, you can't understand how, Every room, every eye in that room is on him at this point. Every mouth is open. Because all of us 23, 24-year-old guys, I mean, six or seven years ago, about half the guys in that room were that guy sitting in the car in front of their ex-girlfriend's house, right? Being a fool. And we couldn't believe. We'd never seen this kind of grace. And I thought about that story and I thought, okay, so there was my attack plan, my plan of attack, where I'm like, you know, I'm a preacher. I never get to cuss anybody out. And then there's, I want to show the gospel to somebody who doesn't deserve it. But guess what? None of us do. There's, I'm going to make sure this guy knows what's going to happen to him. And then there's, I want to give this guy an opportunity to change his life. I mean, is there any doubt who did the right thing? Now, I know some of you, some of you are probably sitting there thinking, yeah, but Jeff, yeah, if I were in your shoes, I would have done the same thing. And in fact, I would have gone further. I would have made him a greasy spot on the sidewalk. 
can we just accept the fact that just like an alcoholic, just like a drug, a, a drug abuser, it's so hard to admit we have a problem. It's so hard, especially when it comes to anger, to admit, you know, I need to change. Because here's the thing. If you're an angry person, and so many of us are, you get to the point where you justify that so many times, you get to the point where that becomes your identity. That's who you are. I'm the tough guy. I'm the, the no-nonsense woman. I'm, I, you don't mess with me. You don't push me around. And you worry, what happens if I give that up? Will I then be the person who gets walked over? Will I then become the doormat? Will I then become the person who gets taken advantage of? I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Great. But then it says patience. Do I want patience? Don't want to be the kind of person who's patient with others, uh, the person who's patient with others, because then they'll, they'll push me around. Do I want to have gentleness? I, I, can't, I can't intimidate people anymore if I'm gentle. Do I want to have self-control? I kind of want people to worry that I'm going to fly off the handle every once in a while. We're proud of our anger. In fact, we're so proud of our anger, we judge people who aren't as angry as we are. Think about it. I... You saw that thing on the news and you're not mad? How come you're not out smashing windows and, 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 and you know, marching in the streets? How come you're not writing letters? How come you're not boycotting? How come you're not cussing? How come you're not? Because our, our anger becomes our way of signal, signaling virtue. It's performative outrage in so many. I'm not saying it's not genuine, but we feel good about ourselves because of our anger. Just like me when I hung up the phone. Feel good about that. And yet, Dallas Willard, godlier man than I've ever known, said these words long ago, there is nothing that can be done with anger that cannot be done better without it. And I, I believe that. And if you don't agree with him, he's just some guy who lived at the same time we did. How about the, the Lord's own brother? James 1.20 says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Do you, do you need anything else? Your anger is not producing God's righteousness. Unless it's righteous anger, I think we've already established that is almost never the case. So I heard this story about this kid named Justin, kid, 27 years old, but he, he was from Minnesota. And you know, have you ever known anybody from Minnesota? They always seem happy. Maybe it's the accent, right? Yeah, you betcha. They always seem happy. But this guy, Justin, was not your typical Minnesotan. He's waiting at the, at the bus stop, there's this woman, 59 years old. She gets on his nerves. He starts to yell at her. She pulls out her phone to call the cops. He punches her, knocks her down. There's a man standing there, old enough to be his dad and then some, who bravely steps forward to try to stop this guy from beating up this poor woman. And Justin takes this blue binder that he's holding and starts whacking the guy across the face with this binder and all these papers fly out. And Justin finally realizes, I'm about to get in trouble and he runs. But the cops had no trouble finding him and arresting him. You know why? Because the papers that flew out of his binder had his name and address on them, or his name and his phone number on them, because they were his homework from his anger management class <laughs> that he was in the bus stop to go to. You can't make this stuff up, right? But that's us. That's the perfect metaphor for us today because everybody I meet, including me, we're just carrying this big toxic ball of volcanic rage inside of us. And you never know when it's gonna pop and who it's gonna hurt in the meantime. And we don't wanna give that up. But let me give you a challenge, okay? Just here's, here's where we're gonna put this into practice. 
I'm going to mention three different kinds of anger, three different ways anger is manifested in us. And if one of the three or two of the three or all three apply to you, I want you to write down the three scriptures that I'm going to give you for each of these three kinds of anger, okay? The reference itself, take it home, write it somewhere where you'll see it every day, your refrigerator, the lock screen of your phone, uh, your, your, uh, said refrigerator, your bathroom mirror, and pray it to the Lord every single day. All right, so the three kinds of anger I wanna talk about. Number one, there's temper. And that's Justin, but that's, that's many of us. If you're the kind of person that others, other people know, okay, we need to walk, walk on eggshells around him because he's in one of those moods. Okay, you know, she's usually a really nice person, but don't set her off. You don't wanna be around when she blows. You know you're one of those people, right? Here are your three scriptures. Write these down. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. And if you're mad at me for calling you a fool, Solomon said it first. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You know how much we admire people who, who are courageous in the face of battle? And, and we do and we should. Even better is the person who is self-controlled. Even better is the person of patience and gentleness. Here's your third one. James 1, 19 through 20. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So when I say, write those down and pray them before the Lord, what I mean is this. Here's, here's an example. Tomorrow morning you wake up, you take James 1, 19 through 20, you read it and then you say, okay, God, I know that my anger is not producing your righteousness, so please teach me to be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. And, and how often do you pray that? You pray that every single day. And how long do you keep praying that? You pray that until you become known as a person who is even-tempered and patient and gentle and kind. And then keep on praying it anyway because that stuff comes back. All right, so temper. That, that applies to some of you, I know. Secondly, bitterness. If you're a bitter person, you probably don't ever show anger. Nobody even knows you're angry, but you got it deep down inside. You're, you've got an ability to hold on to that anger and let it smolder. And when you see people that have hurt you, people who have offended you, it burns inside of you. And you, here's a good sign, right? Here's a sign you've got this. If you have imaginary conversations with people in which you tell them off, I, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but does anybody, anybody resonate? You have these imaginary conversations where you tell that person what you really think. That's a sign of bitterness. If, if your mind is like, okay, I know the Bible says I need to forgive and forget, but if I do, don't they kind of win? Then that's bitterness. Because the truth is you win when you forgive. The Lord wins when you forgive. Here are your scriptures, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. If you go to bed angry, you haven't dealt with it that day, that's bitterness. He says, give no opportunity to the devil. Don't give the devil any room to do his work in your life. Uh, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
And then Colossians 3.13, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. By the way, if, if you go home and realize I should have written those down and I didn't, email me, call me, I will give them to you. You need to do this. Third kind of anger is outrage. And this is my term. I didn't make up the term outrage, but I was trying to come up with a one word description of the person who just enjoys telling other people off. Now, this isn't a person who's bitter because once they've had their say, they don't think about it anymore. They're, they're feeling good. And they're not really a person of quick temper because they don't raise their voice. They don't get all red in the face. They don't, they're, they're not like exploding. They just, they're quick on their feet. They're sarcastic. Um, they're, they're brutally honest. They're the kind of person who's like, hey, if you want somebody to pat you on the back and tell you you're okay, go to your mom. But if you want the truth, you come to me because I'll tell you the truth. And there's, there's a place for boldness. Boldness is, is a good thing. But this is something entirely otherwise because this is, this is about your pride. This is about, put it this way, if you're, if you're one of these people, it's hard for you not to jump into an argument if you hear something you disagree with. Somebody, they could be at the table next to you having their own little conversation and they say something and you're like, oh, that ain't right. I, I gotta go tell that person they're wrong. You see it on the internet? Oh, they're gonna hear. They're gonna hear from me. And it's not gonna be pretty. Outrage. We live in an outrage culture. It's performative outrage. We love to let people know they're wrong. So here are your scriptures if you're one of those people. Uh, Matthew 12, 36. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Every single time you spoke without thinking, is this the right thing to say? You're gonna have to answer for it before God someday. Think about that. Ephesians 4.15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Yeah, there are times when you should engage those people and say, hey, respectfully, I disagree with you. Let me tell you why I think you're wrong. Sometimes you need to stand up for the truth, but you should speak the truth in love. You should walk away from that conversation. That person should go, I still don't agree with them, but I, I can tell they love me. They care about me. Here's your third one, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Everything we say should build people up, should make things better, not worse. Now, again, we don't wanna let go. We've got that toxic ball of volcanic rage inside of us and it makes us feel good. It keeps us warm. We feel validated. We feel heroic. We feel justified. We don't want to lay that down. But think about Jesus. When Jesus came into this world, what did he lay down? His throne? His power? The only power Jesus kept was the power to heal people. He didn't have the power to, to change and adjust world events and, and make things go the way he wanted them to go. Jesus laid down his privilege, millions of angels bowing before him every single day. He had none of that anymore. Now he's just a poor carpenter. He laid it all down. And then at the cross, he laid down his life. And every single moment he was dying, every breath he took, every second on that cross, at any moment he could have said, okay, that's enough. I've had it. These people are dying right now. And all of us would have said he was justified. And yet, even as they spat in his face, what did he do? He prayed for their forgiveness. He did that so that we could be saved. So how can we not, sitting at the foot of the cross, how can we not lay down our anger and say, Lord, this is hard for me, 
but I'm gonna trust that your way is better than my way. I'm gonna trust that you know what you're doing better than I know what I'm doing. Are you willing to do that? Some of you know this story. Back in the 1970s, there was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. His name was Lee. Uh, being a, a journalist is hard work. There were strict deadlines, very stressful. Being an investigative journalist, even harder because you're constantly around the worst side of humanity. You're seeing corrupt politicians. You're seeing uh, clergymen who are hypocrites. You're seeing people who, who take advantage of others. And so Lee would come home every day full of anger and rage at all he'd seen. He had a little girl who was five years old named Allison. Every day when her dad came home, every day when she heard her dad's car in the garage, she would pick up her toys in the living room and go hide in her room because her dad was so angry. She didn't want to be around him. One day Lee came home and found his wife sitting on the living room couch holding a Bible, a Bible in her lap. And, and Lee was somebody who hated organized religion. And he found out that one of the neighbors had been witnessing to his wife and she had She'd come to believe that Jesus was the son of God and the savior of the world, and this made him furious. So he decided, I'm gonna prove to my wife that all of this is garbage, all of this is lies. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna interview every expert. I'm gonna do all the research. I'm gonna prove that Christianity is a fraud. And you know what? In the end, with all of his skill, with all of his abilities, he ended up proving the opposite. And Lee Strobel became a believer in Jesus Christ and published a book based on his research called The Case for Christ that many of you have read, millions of others have read. But here's the, here's the part of the story I wanted to tell you. So a few months after Lee Strobel becomes a believer in Jesus and his life has changed, his little girl, Allison, comes to her mom. and She says, I want God to do for me what he did for daddy. Now that's the power of the gospel. That's what can happen when you lay your anger down at the foot of Christ. What can God do when you make that decision? Whose life becomes better? Who comes to Jesus because you made that one decision to sacrifice that precious anger that you hold on so tightly to? Do you trust him that much after what he's done for you?